Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we just ask that you would encourage us as we assemble together to learn about you and to be encouraged in our service for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And uh, just once again, let's go to the book of Philippians. And uh, I'm not sure if there's going to be any more from the book of Philippians. We're trying to deal with a couple of verse, two verses in chapter 4 and the connecting verses there. But uh, as we look at these special verses, just try to spend a little bit of time here and uh, glean some things as the Apostle Paul is working and trying to uh, deal with his incarceration and yet still serving God and still remaining faithful to where God has put him. Paul is not discouraged. And really, we need to look in this at the, the command there in verse 4 to rejoice in the Lord as a, a command, as a, a, a truth that we need to hold on to, something that we need to do even when we do not feel like rejoicing in the Lord. And, and uh, it is our natural response. It is the answer to know that Jesus is sufficient for the problem. How many of you have ever had a problem and you just weren't quite sure that the Lord was listening to you and going to answer your problem? Those are some pretty dark times, aren't they? Those are some times where you're sitting there and, and that's not the place the Christian is to find themselves. Because God is the answer. Amen? He has the truth. He knows what he's going to do. And uh, I am often reminded with my children that it is, there are times when I've got something I'm doing and it's to their benefit. But I kind of want it to be a surprise so I don't tell them, Dad, what are you doing? None of your business. I'm headed down to the store to get ice cream. I'm going to bring it back. We're going to have some fun, but not until you finish all your chores and all of this. And instead of just reminding everybody of what needs to be done, you just go get it. And then you have the fun when everything's done. Sometimes the Lord does that to us. And instead of rejoicing in the Lord and what he is going to do for us, we get all caught up and start arguing and fussing and then the Lord can't do what He wanted to do. Now, who is injured? We are. Not the Lord. We are the ones that lose out. And so, as Paul is finishing this story, he's going to talk about two great words, two words that you need. One is strength, and the other is supply. Now, I don't know about you, but when it gets hot like it is right now, how many of you feel the weakness that the heat brings? Uh, uh, just a reduced effort. It seems like no matter, you just go out there and uh, somebody let their dog make a huge mess in front of the church. And I finally found it this afternoon. And so 
got the boys out there with the hose, and they were spraying off the sidewalk and spraying each other. You might as well have fun while you work, right? And um, But just a few minutes out there, I'm like, I'm going to have to go up and start the day over again. I mean, just too, too sweaty to show up at church like that. We need strength and supply. You know, it's a lot of fun going to the store and going, I need one of those and I need five of those and I need ten of these and I need twenty of those and I need thirty of those and uh, let's get a pallet of sheetrock and let's get a bucket of screws knowing all the funds are sitting there in the bank. All we got to do is buy the stuff we need, put it up. That's supply. It's not so much fun when it's the installer for the boiler. Once we get this, he's going to want uh, $6,000 up front and another 5800 or so uh, to fin- when the job is finished. And we did pay the engineer <clears throat> for drawing the plans. And he had found out he's going to do far more work than he originally agreed to do for us. And so that is a true blessing. Uh, But there's just a lot of things to come. And supply. You can't get the job done if you don't have what you need. So Paul is using these two words as he closes out his letter to the Philippians. And often these verses are used as standalone verses. It says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. How many of you have ever quoted that verse out of context? You know how you quote it out of context? When you can't get accomplished what you're trying to get accomplished. All of a sudden you know you're out of biblical context. Because Paul said, I can do all things through Christ. Now, does Christ have the strength to do everything? Is there anything Christ does not have the strength to do? The only thing, I'm often reminded of the sarcastic question, can God make a rock so big he cannot lift it? Like that's supposed to impress you as a difficult question that cannot be answered. Because if God can't make a rock so big that he cannot lift it, then that's something God cannot do. He's not God. And if he can't lift it, well, then he's not God. How many of you know the answer to that one? God has made many of them. It's the heart of a person who refuses to believe in God. That's how simple the answer is. It's not a pleasant one. But God has made the heart. He didn't make the heart to refuse to believe in Him. He gives us a choice. But when you choose not to believe in God, He's not going to make you believe in Him. He's not going to make you do right. That's a choice you have to make. I have to make. Each one of us every day. 
And so let's get the context on this thing. I can do all things. This is not just uh, a passage when uh, we had uh, two 400-pound beans that needed to be pulled out of place and new ones put in. Uh, I thought about that verse. I can do all things through Christ. No, that's not applicable. Uh, He expects us to get the proper tools, lifting equipment, knowledge, and all of those things to get the job done, Christ is not going to give you strength to lift a 400-pound piece of wood and push it in place because that would be the easier way to do it. Amen? That's not what this verse is talking about. Let's, Let's look what this verse is talking about. Let's get the context here. Let's go back to verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, Wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. You know what Paul is really talking about here? He's talking about his ability to live even when he doesn't have what he needs. Paul was a prisoner of Rome. He was not allowed to work and earn income. The only way he would have food and have his daily needs met was that people had to, friends, family, had to send him money so that he could purchase. Uh, It tells us at the end of the book of Acts that Paul lived in a rented house for two years in Rome, awaiting his trial before Caesar. And he had to maintain himself even though he could not work. And so you could imagine the state of some of those prisoners separated thousands of miles from home and friends and family and trying to live. But they couldn't work. Couldn't earn any money. And so Paul said, listen, I rejoiced. We might put it in the vernacular today when the check showed up from Philippi. Uh, I rejoiced when Epaphroditus came and brought your offering. It was a special time of great joy, not only because I received the money, but because I knew you people in Philippi were praying for me. And you still cared about what was going on in my life. You know, that's why it's so important with our missionaries that we don't just send them a check every month. That's why our ladies meet before church on Thursday night to pray for our missionaries. And they send them out cards for Christmas. And and we try to do some things to remind the missionaries that we support that it's not just a check in the mail. That there's regular prayers that are made for them. That's why the first Sunday of the month is designated missions prayer meeting. 
We pray for our missionaries and we need to pray that the support comes in so we can continue sending uh, those checks. But, but it's more than just the money. It's the relationship that is there. And Paul is saying, you guys didn't forget about me. Been in prison for four years. And you still remembered me. You know what? They were encouraging the Apostle Paul in the work that God still had for him to do, even though he was in prison. And he said, Not that I speak in respect of want. Now, there's, you know, we'll, we'll get to this passage in a little bit as we try to get some correlations in here. But in 1 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy that it is the love of money that is the root of all evil. How many of you have ever met somebody that loved money? I mean, if you've lived in New York City, you've met them. They're, they're willing to do anything just to get another dollar, just to... Get another paycheck. Scary, scary things. And we don't, as, as servants of Christ, that's not how we want to live. We don't want to be caught up in that world, in that thought process. But you know, you don't have to have a lot of money to love it now, do you? In fact, some of the poorest people spend most of their time wanting things that they can't afford. If that were not true, the New York lottery would be out of business, wouldn't it? I'll tell you, I hate the lotteries because it's not rich people that buy lottery tickets. It's poor people. And they somehow think if they could just win the lottery, everything would be okay. If you want to study in terrible things, study what happens to those multi-multi-million dollar lottery winners. The vast majority of them in six years of winning a twenty, thirty million, hundred million dollar settlement, they're either dead or in prison. And not a one of them died Solvent. All of them were in debtors, in debt, huge debts that had to be settled in court. More money than you'd know what to do with in ten lifetimes, right? Nope. You'll find out that it can disappear quicker than you know. Paul said, I'm not sitting here just going, I wish I had this, I wish I had that. If you want Christ to strengthen you, you've got to stop blaming Him for what you don't have that you think you need. This is what Paul's talking about in this passage. He said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, but I'm not going to sit around with a great big list of things that I want. I'm not speaking in respect of want. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. 
Now, that verse used to mean a lot more to me than it does now because I'm rather content in the state that I live in right now, even with all the trouble. But, uh, but for four years, while I was in Bible college, I had to live in the state of Missouri. I mean, Missouri. And uh, I will tell you, we, we just did not get along very well. Uh, I was born in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, East Coast. I, I like just outside the city. I mean, I, I like wilderness as much as anybody. Springfield, Missouri was called the Queen of the Ozarks. Uh, when I lived there 30-some years ago, uh, it boasted a population of just over... A uh, hundred thousand people, counting the dogs, cats, cows, and uh, the neighbors, whatever. Uh, I rode a bicycle faster than most people drove in that city. Uh, I kid you not. And, and there was just so many things I learned when where I grew up. If somebody said, "Yes, I will do that." That meant they would do that. Well, I found out, at least I was told soon after I got there, yes, I will do that means no. And if they tell you no, that means no. But if they say, we'll see about it, or maybe, then that means yes. That's the best answer you could get. And and, uh, I was sitting here going, I don't like this. I I don't like this at all. I mean, why why can't you just say yes if you're going to do that? But... They felt somehow that they were obligating themselves to you, and as soon as you turned your back, they were unobligating themselves. And you had to be very patient. I did not like the state of Missouri. I still don't like the state of Missouri, uh, except they have cheap gas on the way to Oklahoma. But, uh, and I had to deal with my rotten attitude. You know that? Sometimes I still have to deal with it if I get thinking too much. How many of you have ever been in a state you didn't want to be in? Uh, My children feel that way about Oklahoma to a great degree as they go off to Bible college. And I see Anita smiling. She probably had the same problem. And, and, uh, of course, we can get revenge because we get them to come visit us out here. And it's like, I never saw anything. Yeah, now you know why we... (laughs) Well, uh, but anyway, we keep moving on here, please. Uh, Paul said, no matter what state I'm in, I've learned to be content. Now, does that mean we should be content with failure? Absolutely not. Content with sin in our lives? Absolutely not. But when God puts us somewhere, we need to go back to verse 4. Can we rejoice in the Lord? If we cannot, something's wrong. We need to start there. We've got to learn. Paul said, I have learned. And by the way, anything you learn, guess what you can do? You can unlearn it, can't you? And Paul said, I have learned to be content. I know how 
both how to be abased. Now, how many of you are familiar with that word, abased? Uh, It's not a word we use very much in modern English anymore, but it means ashamed. It means embarrassed. It means downgraded in other people's eyes. How many of you would like to be there? Let me ask you a question. How many of you have been there? Where you are put down. Where, where someone is treating you as an inferior just because it makes them feel better about themselves. Have you ever been there? It's not a pleasant place to be. And, and Paul said, I know how to be abased. What do we say in America? I have my rights. Uh, Paul said, I've learned how to be abased. I know how to live. You know, there were a lot of Christians, and I've even heard sermons in my own lifetime how people have gone to the book of Acts where Agabus the prophet came up and took his turban off and tied Saul's, uh, Paul's hands together and says, the Holy Spirit says that the Jews are going to bind this the man uh, that's tied up here and he's going to be held in prison. And everybody begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Remember that story from the Bible? And I've heard preachers preach that if Paul had only listened to the Holy Spirit, if he'd only listened to Agabus, he wouldn't have been put in jail and his ministry could have gone farther and he could have done more for God than ever, but he, he chose to be stubborn and go on in his own... Wait, wait a minute. How many of you remember back in Philippians chapter 2 where Paul said, these bonds have actually worked out to the furtherance of the gospel? You see, it's not fun when people think you're the bad guy or you're the one that's doing something wrong or you're you're not as good a Christian as someone else. That's not a pleasant place to be. But Paul said, I learned how to live there and still keep my joy. I learned how to live there and still trust God. He said, I know how to abound. I mean, the Apostle Paul knew what it was to see God do some great things. How about the city of Ephesus? He spent more time there than any other place. Three years. And they brought all those books about witchcraft and everything out. And burned them. They were emptying the shelves of the books about the devil and getting rid of them. And you know, even to this day, people look at that passage and they go, oh, oh, you Christians, all you want to do is burn books. Well, no, that's not true. We have one book that we hold rather in high esteem. Amen? And, And if you'll go into my office, I've got, I don't know, several hundred books on my shelf. And I've got 
probably close to a thousand more in, in uh, 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 whatever you call that, uh, digital form on my computer. And I, I believe in books, and I like reading books and spending time with them because they teach you things. But how many of you have ever read a book that gave you knowledge that you wish you didn't have when it was all over? There are some books that are just bad now, aren't there? And, and Paul's simply saying, listen, I know... How to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in, in, in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Now, wait a minute. That, that's not a pleasant thing. I mean, most of us in America have no idea what it means to truly be hungry. And that's really a good thing. Uh, That's part of the prosperity that God has given our nation. Doesn't always mean we're going to be like that here. But I think the statement is two-thirds of the world's population goes to bed hungry at night. And I I want to make a point. That's not because there's not enough food. People go hungry in God's good earth because of the wickedness of other people. I, I hear those ads all the time about all the hungry children. Well, I'll tell you what. If we just stopped selling beer and cigarettes, there wouldn't be very many hungry children. If we put an end to the illegal drug trade, let me tell you, there would be very few hungry children in this country. There is no need for children to go hungry, but they do. Because of the wickedness. Of other people, but Paul said, Wait a minute. I, I have learned in all things, I've learned how to be hungry and not lose my joy. I've learned how to do without what I need and not be upset at God for not doing what I think He ought to do. He said, I've learned how to be full. How to hungry, how to abound, how to suffer need. Then he says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Could I rephrase this just a little bit differently? Paul said, no matter where I am, no matter what I have, no matter what I don't have, I can still serve Christ. That's what all things are. He said, no matter what state I am, no matter where I find myself, whether I have food to eat or whether I am going hungry, whether I am 
being shamed and I am looked down upon even by those that I would think would respect me and care toward me. He has already talked about those that tried to add suffering to Paul's imprisonment, preaching the gospel under pretenses that were not the way it was supposed to be done. Because they thought themselves more spiritual than Paul because they weren't in jail. Paul, that stubborn old preacher. You know what Paul said? I've learned how to be abased. And I've learned how to abound. He said, I've learned no matter where I am, in prison, out of prison, I've learned to serve Christ. And this has led to a phrase that we often use. It's said many different ways. God will nev- God's will will never take you where His supply will not take care of you. Amen? Uh, that's just one way to put it. You can, you can put it however you want. This is what Paul says, I can do all things. This is what he's talking about. Christ strengthens me to keep serving Him no matter what. And it is definitely connected to verse 4 of the attitude of heart and the direction of heart of rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I've got to understand that Jesus is always right and that I can keep serving Him no matter what. And then he goes on to talk about supply. He said, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica he sent once and again into my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but because I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all, and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Paul said, listen, you guys have given. He said, when no other church even thought about this, he said, you Philippians understood and you gave, and you helped me out. And he said, I've received from Epaphroditus. He said, I, I don't, he said, I am full, I abound, I have more than I need. But we also read there where Epaphroditus had worked himself halfway to death trying to supply the lack that was there. So Paul was not a fat cat sitting in prison with uh, plush chairs and, uh, you know, all the things that are... No. Paul was surviving, humanly speaking. But Paul says, in my heart and in my soul, he said, I'm thriving. Because I know you guys care about me and what's going on. That's the kind of relationship that Paul had with the Philippian church. And so then Paul gives them a promise. These words are directed under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He says, But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. 
You know, one of the things I, I really want us to, to continue to pray about, our, our missions budget right now is on schedule to be well over anything that it's ever been in the past. Uh, we may even come close to $130,000 this year in our missions. That's amazing. And it's not because we have any rich people that just give thousands of dollars. I think I've told the story here once. I met a preacher and he was telling me, he said, yeah, our missions budget's about $200,000 a year. And I'm sitting there going, wow, that's incredible. We'll probably never get there. And then I found out it was one guy. And when he dried up, so did the church. That's a terrifying thought. God will make a way for you to be obedient to Him. That's what Paul's saying here. If we do things God's way, God will always supply our needs. Always has and always will. If you'd like to live in the realm of miracles, that's where you got to get. But I'll tell you what, sometimes that's more like that terrifying faith that preached about Sunday than it is that calm and peaceful faith that you just have every day. Uh, I'll tell you, we, we've, got to, we've got to understand this thing. You, you, who Paul was talking about was the Macedonians. How many of you remember Second Corinthians chapter 8? He said, they're the ones. He was talking about the Philippians there, that they gave to their power, yea, and beyond their power, that their great abundance did not come from their riches, but actually from their poverty. This is the church that Paul was talking about there. And, and I, I don't know that uh, if anybody's ever asked me to preach on missions or preach a missions conference, I'm going to include those verses in the Bible because we've got to get out of our power and our ability and we've got to have God's. If you're not going to do it with God's supply, it's not going to be done right. You say amen to that? If you're not going to do it with Christ's strength, your effort's going to fail. Could we say amen to that? I didn't hear any, but uh, I saw some lips moving, so we'll, we'll trust that you're with me on that. You see, sometimes it's hard to serve Christ and to do right. So what do we need to do? We need to have Christ strengthen me. Well, if He's going to strengthen me, what's going to happen? Well, I'm going to learn, even in the state of Missouri, to be content. Praise God, He moved me to New York. I'm going to learn that when I have what I need, praise God. When I don't have what I need, I'm still going to praise God because the attitude of my heart is... Rejoice in the Lord. 
you know what? They can't tax my salvation. They can't repeal eternal life. Amen? They cannot take away the peace of God that passeth all understanding if I'm rejoicing in the Lord. But if I'm sitting there wanting all these things that I think I should have that I don't have, that's why Paul said, the love of money is the root of all evil. He said, godliness with contentment is great gain. I believe we ought to be financially responsible. I believe we ought to be careful with our finances. And there's a lot of good guys out there with a lot of good books and a lot of helps. The only problem is most of them go somewhere around this line of thinking here is you got to save now, you got to scrimp now, you got to you got to be very careful right now because when you retire then you want to have money to spend and enjoy life. I actually had a professor in Bible college that said You can retire from the ministry a millionaire. That's how he started the business administration class. And I'm sitting here going, I never heard about this in the ministry. Let's just tune in here. I found out that if you're a really good businessman, and if you put a lot of things aside that you should be doing, and if you limit your missions giving, and you live on a budget that, that makes sense, You can do that. You know what I'd rather do? Learn how to be abased and learn how to abound. Learn how to suffer need and learn how to be full. You know, some people, Ronald Reagan talked about his father. He said, success was far more detrimental to my father than failure. When he failed, he would live right and he would do things and he would work hard. But when he reached that level of success, his father was basically what we would call a functioning alcoholic. And when he reached that level where everything was going good, it wouldn't be too long before everything was going bad again. And yet, he grew up to be one of our greatest presidents. We need to learn. You see, contentment is the greatest gift that you can have. If you want strength, let's take a few minutes and just go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says, verse 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be manifest in our body. We need to live, and the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Can we say amen to that? Those are not fun lessons to learn sometimes. But if you'll learn them, 
you can be like Paul and not lose your joy when bad things happen. Can we say amen to that? If you want God to supply all your needs, it was our Lord Jesus Christ that says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. That's the reference in your outline. You see, let's go back to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. It says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. Could I challenge you, if God is accomplishing His will in your life, you're going to have what you need to do God's will. It's just that simple. But it's got to be God's pleasure and not mine. That's what the psalmist said a thousand years before Jesus walked the earth when he said, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. It's not, Oh, Jesus, I love you, I love you, I love you. Now give me a brand new car. I really need one. Don't you know the old ones? That kind of prayer is foolishness. It borders on blasphemy if it doesn't really cross the line. But Paul said, Philippians, you keep giving. Not because I need the offering. He says, you keep giving because God is recording fruit to your account. Because God is taking notice of things and God will give you what you need to keep serving Him. You've got to learn the lessons first so that Christ can strengthen you. And when you're living in the strength of Christ, God's supply will always follow. But if you don't start from the right premise, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, you're never going to get to the strength and the supply that God has for you. It's connected. It's choices that we have to make. And when we'll do those things, we can live in that joy that the Philippians had. Never... Fails, I'm not even going to ask you to raise hands as we close out tonight. But how many of you say I could use a little more joy in my life? I think every hand would go up. Always does. Because joy is one of those things you just can't have enough of. Joy is what gives us a sense of satisfaction and accomplishment in life. It's what the world does everything... They think if you'll just have the right car, you'll be full of joy. Until you get the first repair bill and find out that the repair bill on that car that's supposed to give you joy costs ten times what it would in any other car. Listen, everything the world promises to give you joy has a hook in it. And it will pull you farther away from the Lord and it will bind you up and it will keep you from serving God. 
Paul said, I've learned to do without. I've learned to have it all. You see, because it's Christ that strengthens me, so it's His work and His strength that brings me through both the lean times and the good times. And Philippians, as you give, God's going to supply. So as we have Christ strengthen us to do His will, what are we doing? We're investing our life in what God would have us to do. And then the promise of supply is attached. It's connected. We've got to keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus. That's why it starts with rejoice. How many of you have ever been happy about something only to find out it was absolutely worthless happiness? All of us have been there, haven't we? Oh, the most wonderful thing happened. Oh, really? And then you find out, well, it wasn't quite so wonderful, was it? There's some things attached there. There's some... Listen, we start at the right premise. God is. God is good. Hebrews 11:6. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Then we can have Christ's strength as we learn contentment wherever we are, whatever circumstance. And as we keep giving and serving, then we'll open the faucet of God's supply. And it will always give us what we need to keep serving Christ. And all God's people said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. We ask that you would help us to lay hold of these truths that are in this book. Lord, that we would be willing, if necessary, to suspend our emotions just for a moment. To take away our human reasoning and just Put that thing in neutral or park for a little bit. Rejoice in the Lord because of who you are, because of what you've done for us, because of the promises in your word, because you're coming again, because of the church that you have given us to share fellowship in. And Lord, we ask that we would learn our lessons that we would learn contentment, that we would know how to behave ourselves. Then we'll have your strength. All things are the things that your will would determine for our lives. Lord, that we would be found faithful as the Philippian church was. And then, Lord, to know the supply of those needs miraculously from the hands of God in a way that only can bring glory to God the Father. We ask that you would help us to take these verses off the page and to live them even tonight as we go home, even next week until Jesus comes. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. We'll have the piano play as our heads are bowed.